Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99, you are helping me chase after mine. Welcome to the Jen Lowry Writes Podcast. As you can see, I have a very special guest with me today. This is Miss Dana Stahl. She is an author, an educational consultant, and a host of many different things, and she's going to tell us more about herself. We're going to be highlighting her educational book that I am putting a five-star stamp review on that every practitioner and educator and parent really needs to grab. Um, especially right now in our lives, and it's called The ABCs of Learning Issues, A Practical Guide for Parents, and it's available on Amazon. So, Miss Dana, tell us a little bit about you. Well, I am a learning specialist and an educational consultant, and I came to the field because of my own personal struggles with um, learning disabilities as a child. I'm dyslexic, and in 1963, dyslexia was coined, and I entered first grade in 1966, and they just had no idea what to do with me. But I was and am a bright and competent and capable individual uh, who had a great deal of difficulty learning. Um, at the time that I was in uh, first grade, the chairs and desks were in rows, and we read uh, Dick and Jane, and I could catch on to what was going on through the pictures. You could see Spot running, and you could see that Jane was sad, and um, so I was good at deductive reasoning and inferential um, reasoning, but I did not read. Uh, and not even the good morning message. And it was a very stressful way to pretend to be fitting in in school. Um, and one day I went, um, I would frequently go to the nurses as a break away from the class and I, my frequency became too much. And the nurse said to me, does your mommy and daddy fight? Do you get along well with your sister? And I don't know where at the age of seven I had the courage to self-advocate, but I was able to say to her, this has nothing to do with my family. I am not learning the way my friends are. And from that point on, I raised the flag that said, I need help. And along the way, I, I was able to have a mentor in my life who turned to me and said, you're a very bright young girl. You just need another way to learn. And I'm going to show you. And indeed she did. So by the age of 11, I understood that if I could be helped, then other children could be helped. And this was my path. And I feel very blessed to be able to have chosen this path and be able to help so many different children and families. And you've done that with this book. And with other aspects of your consultation and your coaching, because I saw on your website that you offer coaching for families and students, and you also have this practical guide. And I was talking with Miss Dana before we recorded about the need for a guide like this. One, it is so direct and straightforward, and it really cuts to the heart of what parents need to know to be able to understand the basics of different disabilities and then it and learning differences, and then it can springboard them with that basic knowledge into further research. 
And so to me, this is a starting place, a wonderful starting place for parents and educators who need a refresher, who when they're, you know, ready to start the beginning of the school year and they start getting IEPs or 504s and they, they start looking through their students' cumulative folders, they can have your guide there to just kind of refresh them with that language that they need with some very quick strategies. Because I love your strategies. Thank you. Thank you. And I agree that the, the key is the partnership between the home and the school. And uh, every industry has its own language. And the field of education has its own language as well. And for um, parents to be able to communicate with educators, it would be very helpful if they understood or could use the language that was being used in school. Um, and, and the book addresses that with a glossary of terms that helps parents um, begin to forge a dialogue with their school. I also love how you provided the templates as well. So. One thing I valued in your book is that sometimes when parents, like you say, like you kind of had like this red flag, right, early on that you knew you needed to advocate for yourself. Well, there may be parents out there who say, I'm starting to notice some differences. I'm starting to pick up on some things, but I don't really know how to express that. How do I even approach a teacher? Like you have a template about how do you ask for testing? the questions that you have generated for parents to, to go into an IEP meeting with or a 504 meeting with, that is golden. Because oftentimes what I've seen, so you know, I've been in the field of education for 20 years and now I'm a literacy coach and a reading specialist. But before that, I was primarily in the special education classroom. I was an occupational course of study teacher and I held tons of IEP meetings in my life, tons of them. And what I would notice is that oftentimes parents in the middle of the meeting, we would say, do you have any questions? And the parents might not know how to say the questions that they're having because they're in the middle of the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and everybody's talking and everything is going around. And I found that, that your book could be such a, a meeting place for that parent to be able to go through that book, to be able to not only look at strategies that they could try in the home environment, but also ways that they could approach talking through the special education jargon. Because like you said, education has an umbrella of vocabulary terms, and then you branch off. You know, EL has their own language, and then SPED has their own language, and Absolutely. it's very unique to individual fields. And, and also when I think of first year teachers, um, we talked about this earlier too, and I just feel like we need to highlight this moment about the Introduction to Exceptional Children course that's being offered or Introduction to Specific Learning Disabilities that's being offered at the college setting. Talk to me about how you found that, um, just that survey. We well, you covered many things, all important points, uh, but the parents who are first making their observations about something is not right, they should go with their gut. They know their children better than anyone else, and they, uh, parents are their children's best advocates. So when you're noticing that your children are frustrated at doing their homework, or that they have difficulty initiating the task or completing it, or that they're distracted. Um, you Writing down notes of your observations, how often it happens, in what subject is it happening in, what is the behavior you're noticing, is it frustration, is it anger, is it sadness, um, how are they coping with it, are they then just walking away from the assignment or are they trying to work through it? All these observations are critical for the school to understand. And it is here that the beginning of a conversation can occur, uh, always in I statements within the school, because the schools view themselves as the professionals. Um, they have the speech and language therapist, the occupational and physical therapist, they have the resource room teachers, they have the child psychologist, and then there's the classroom teacher. But if you broach it to the classroom teacher and you say, these are observations 
I am experiencing at home? Do you find the same things happening in school? And if indeed the teacher does, and chances are she is, then that's the beginning of the journey on trying to figure out what's going on to identify it, and then understanding what needs to be done to rectify it. And together, and it only happens together, with the home and the school working in partnership to help children succeed and reach their full potential. Right. Excellent. And I know the frequency and duration, like when we're educators, we're taught that in assessment and we're taught that in classroom behavioral management courses when we're going through our practicums and all of that. And for parents to take on that role, they just might not think to do that. They might not think to write these little notations down to be able to bring documentation to parent to the teacher. So that's a really good point because that can be used, you know, as an informal dialogue piece that can help steer the conversation forward. Absolutely, and there are cultural disparities as well that um, from a cultural standpoint, a parent may not feel comfortable going into the school and presenting observations. They may feel that the school is the one who understands. And if, um, and, it's very fascinating that for these parents, just going to the parent-teacher conference is participating. They're, they're not going to take it to the next level and say, these are my observations. So it's really important that the school creates an environment that allows the parent to feel comfortable to voice what their observations are. Uh, it is a journey that needs to happen together from kindergarten to 12th grade. And for parents to understand their role and their advocacy role that they can play and that Absolutely. their voice matters so much. Absolutely. And, and that's why this book gives parents that voice. It's like the vehicle for them to be able to navigate the system. Absolutely, that was my hope. I'm so glad you saw that. Yeah. That, yeah. that is my hope because within the book we discuss 24 common learning issues that are presented in formal assessments and they span learning attention and anxiety issues and these 24 issues that are then explored and discussed through formal evaluations the parent goes home with a 30-page report and they look at it and they say and now what what am yep. i supposed to do with this yeah and and a parent can read um, David is able to um, uh, conceptually understand the mathematical, his math homework. Um, please do not be discouraged that from a computational point, he's not going to be accurate. And the parent's like, well, I don't understand. If he can understand it conceptually, then why can't he execute it? And this book describes for parents what the learning issues are, the behaviors the parents will observe at home, um, behaviors that may very well be evident in the classroom. The professionals can, can help with this. And then effective teaching strategies for both the home and the school to allow that partnership to come together. And I love the way that you organize the book. Like the way that each disability and each subcategory is just so detailed and you start with like uh, I don't want to misquote it but you do have at the beginning this is how like educators would apply this this is how people would say this in the profession but this is really how you could paraphrase this and understand it um, for you to be able to communicate it and so I really love how you have structured the book and I love the part at the end that's the tools section because you even discuss you know thinking thinking through the stage of even high school development and then transitioning and you not only discuss the transitioning to higher education but you also talk about the career and the workforce development i love that because this is the span that parents need to understand that it doesn't stop and even exactly. advocacy just grows the advocacy builds and then the resources are available for them for their future 
And the more that we can advocate and then teach them the advocacy skills, the greater their success rate could be. Absolutely. At each crossroad, it yep. is so important for parents to understand the stage that they're going at to, and through. So um, in K to two, we learn to read. In three to five, we read to learn. So the child who is um, struggling in elementary school to learn to read, they really have to the end of the fifth grade to secure their foundation in reading, writing, and math so that they can enter middle school at that next crossroad for the demand of content-based learning. But if your child has special needs, uh, it is along the line by ninth grade um, that they're going, by the time they're 15, they're going to be discussing, well, are they going to continue along an academic pursuit or are they going to go into a vocational pursuit? And if they're going to go into a vocational area, what does that look like? And if they have learning issues and they've made it through school, hats off to them. They negotiated and navigated their way through this school year, but they had an IEP and they had coaches and they had support in place and they had cheerleaders rooting for them. And now they head off to college and none of that is there, except it is there. It's there through the American Disability Act. And, and the Disability Support Services yes. on every campus. And I used to be, I was an assistant director at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke for like two and a half years and I worked with students with learning disabilities and ADHD in the college setting and it was wonderful to be able to be at like you calling that crossroads moment for incoming freshmen to be able to help them navigate through that freshman experience really help coach parents but the availability is there but I honestly found that high school parents were not aware of all of the help that continues. Absolutely, they're it not. And there. The tools are in your book to say, here are some ways, here's the way you can navigate this, this is what you need, and I love that. I was very, I was very excited when I saw that. The continuum, my slogan is from education to employment. The journey is not over until students uh, secure a skill set in which they can find employment and find success. So uh, for parents, it's crucial that in that junior, senior year of high school, the paper trail continues and everything is in place, that the formal um, assessments are there, that the diagnosis is there, that what does this child require in terms of accommodations and intervention? Because they will take that paperwork then off to college and they will go to their office of student disabilities and they will say, this is what I need in order to succeed. And beyond that, there are um, resources for college students where you can hire in a liaison that will work between the college advisor and the student that will set up at the beginning of the week. What does your week look like? What do you have? What tests, what's, what papers are due? I think it would be beneficial if you went to your professor, you could benefit by doing studying this and let's organize that. And they don't need it for long, but that transition from high school to college is so important. And then upon, again, once leaving college to enter the workforce, uh, there's so many children out there, young adults with a failure to launch. And there's a reason why there's the failure to launch. And it didn't happen yesterday, it happened years earlier. And so all these steps that can be taken on learning what vocations are of interest to you. How do you develop that skill set? Who can you turn to for support and help? It empowers the student, the individual, and they learn how to negotiate and navigate what they need to do in order to be successful. And I think that like how you mentioned in the book, and I'm calling it that crossroads like you called it before, so I'm taking your words, but students can face anxieties at each one of these crossroads. And so how do you mitigate some of that? And to me, it's bringing them the knowledge. It's bringing them the resources. It's saying, let's work through this career development program to check a profile for yourself, to really start investigating who you are, what are your strengths, 
And once those can be identified, those can be built up and continue, you know, continue to build like these blocks, these stepping stones. But at every crossroad, students will have a possible sense of anxiety or dread because it's an unknown. It is an unknown, but all these steps allow for ownership to take yep. place. Yep. And so in school, right, in school, these students with anxiety um, may notice anxiety with regard to transition, anxiety with regard to performance. And if you can smash the task and you can put it down into manageable pieces for them, that they can feel that they can um, approach each one and understand what is going to happen next, it absolutely lessens the anxiety and allows them to feel more comfortable to seek help because they're not feeling so overwhelmed. I like how you use that term, smash the task, because I could see that in a coaching role where you're allowing a student and a family to be able to understand how to do that. Because when you say it, there's a task analysis that has to go a part of that. There's a process of how you break out and delineate something that's so huge and overwhelming into those smaller incremental steps. But if we train students in that skill to be able to identify the big picture, and then what are the small steps that I need to do in a manageable way, like you said, it will lessen the anxiety. And not only the anxiety, it will also help to increase their attention. Yeah. So you're, it, it helps globally. When we can um, anticipate what is going to happen, it is um, very helpful because frequently the anticipation of what we think we are going to experience is so much more difficult than what it actually is mm -hmm. uh, and for students with anxiety they they really need to find a way to feel comfortable and secure and confident that they can handle it and this is these are some of the tools that will allow for that and your book talks about having a plan having a plan and, and you repeat that in multiple different strands because a lot of the strategies that you have they're cross-curricular, they could go for, for different subjects because they're just practical, but they work. Like they're just, and they're research-based. So what you've pulled together is a research-based step-by-step guide for parents without all of the textbook quality to it. You know what I mean? Like without all of the, the, the high-end, blah 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 <laughs> it, it, it is not uh, that was my hope there are so many books that are out there that are uh textbooks that for adhd and anxiety disorders and uh for various reading um uh, reading difficulties but they are indeed textbooks and what i wanted to do when i created the abcs of learning issues was to create a user-friendly guide a practical guide to help parents and professionals, service providers work together as a team to help children reach their full academic, social, emotional potential. And I think about right now what we're experiencing with the coronavirus, and now we have so many home environments that have, you know, miraculously, like overnight, turned into school environments. And so, you know, our homeschool families out there are going, I can share what I've been doing. Here are some, you know, some things that have worked with us in homeschool. I love what I'm seeing online where homeschool families are really opening up tips and strategies to parents who are trying to now navigate at this new crossroads. And, and your book, to me, um, needs to be in these homes because you really help them to be able to set up structure to be able to set up a learning environment that is safe, to be able to look at, you know, some different tried and true, like what we go to as coaches, like what we know works to can help boost achievement and how we help with our teachers to do that. You're pretty much giving the parents the tools to be able to pull out something out of that toolbox, be able to use right away, test it, try it within the home environment, while the parent now is really the primary 
you know, not only the primary caregiver, but the primary teacher as well, helping their child. They're holding hands with their child right now through this learning process of online learning. And as stressful, you know, as that has been, it also comes with the benefits because the parents can also work some of these strategies and find out some things that can work for their kids. Absolutely. And uh, it is a, um, it's daunting what parents are being asked to do now because in one, uh, in a very quick and unprecedented manner, parents were asked to be playmates, activity coordinators, and educators. And they find that uh, they're working with their children in a way that they never needed to. And indeed, any strategies of which can help your children to learn efficiently and effectively um, is very helpful. And so the home um, strategies that I've given are based upon my, based upon my um, years of a learning uh, specialist because I, parents always said to me, well, what can I do when, we're, when you're not here? What can I do that will help? And there are some things that are guided as to what can help. But I want parents to understand that there are, there's the opportunity to make learning meaningful at home without it being pen and paper activities. There's so much learning that goes on within a home environment that I don't think parents yet realize um, how much children can learn just from everyday activities. If you wanna take baking and cooking, we cook three meals a day, we need a snack. There's reading comprehension in that. There's elapsed timing, there's measurement. There's the ability to have collaborative and uh, cooperative learning in, within that within board games. There's so much that can be learned. There's inferential learning and there's um, the ability to go ahead and uh, master a skill set that can meet curricular expectations so that even if parents are not doing strictly reading, writing, and math, they are, are working together that will keep confidence of their children and develop the skill sets for re-entry purposes. Exactly. Because, you know, building that social skill, the cooperative teamwork and all of that, but the soft skills. Oftentimes we, you know, neglect the soft skills at times because we're looking at the academic side of that push and that achievement. But the soft skills can be truly mastered with the parental relationship, the family dynamic, that then can transfer over into the classroom environment and they can learn how to navigate within their home system stronger with the soft skills, then you could possibly see that integrated into their routine so much that when they get back into the classroom environment, if they struggled with that before, they've practiced it more with you at home then they could possibly transfer and generalize that skill later. So there is no question. Yeah. No question that there is a gift that can be also given during this time with the, um, between parents and students in developing a new relationship. If your child has trouble with reading comprehension, uh, develop a book club with them. Read whatever book that they're reading together and talk about plot theme, conflict resolution. Uh, what do you think is going to happen next? You can do predicting outcomes and deductive reasoning. How do you think that character felt? And all these um, items that are being, you know, that are typical for school-based learning can absolutely happen conversationally, snuggling up together with the parent in a comfortable and relaxed manner. Right. Wonderful. And that's how, you know, at night when I turn on my homeschool hat, so I'm putting on all these different hats during the day. And I know that's what families are navigating through right now. Like a family member is working, plus having to help their child log into an online school environment, then having a transition back and forth. But it's like we wear all of these hats moving in and out of the day. But when the child has that opportunity to be with us again, 
and it's time for us to support their learning. We can do it in that warm and nurturing way to alleviate some of that built up stress that they that they have, you know, occurred over a course of years, possibly. They've had built up stress when it comes to tasks. So when they see the task, they have a defensive wall. And so being able to create that environment where, okay, here's our new hat. I got my next hat on. This is our, this is our just communication time together. This is our fun time together. Um, that can really help break down some of those walls and barriers that the students may have built as a defense mechanism. And so parents may face some of that as they transition because the student is still holding on to those. And that's their, that's their way that they safeguard themselves from failure or that fear of failure. Absolutely. I love how you put in the fun component that can happen because I think that parents also believe because you know, this is what they see when it comes home, that learning is pen and paper. But let's think about all the ways in which now we have um, what we have in our own home environment that may help make learning fun. So if you're going to be doing, um, if your child has fine motor skill development difficulties, how about learning to crochet or knit? Um, you can do latch hook rugs, you can sew. There's on, um, there are ways in which you can develop skill sets without pen and paper. If you are teaching your child letter formation, um, you can do it with Play-Doh, you can do it with pasta. It can be done with, um, with tangible items that have nothing to do with pen and paper and it'll transfer over. Um, and if your child is old enough to be learning how to formally do print or cursive, there are programs out there that you can buy books for uh, handwriting without tears or the Danelian handwriting. Handwriting um, without tears, I, that's homeschool. That's exactly, home that's you know, these, it's wonderful. And, mm -hmm. and re-entry will happen one day and the child can feel comfortable and confident that they can re-enter uh, having the developed skills they never even thought they were developing because it was being done at home in a fun, caring, and loving environment. And I feel like sometimes, so what I've heard from some teachers right now during this process that we're having a transition over, some of the teachers are saying, I'm feeling overwhelmed because there's so many resources out there, it's almost like you don't honestly know where to start, how to wrap your head around it. And I feel like that's why I called your book that springboard. It's almost like your book is like the diving board for parents to be able to jump and to be able to feel successful and get that dive score of a 10. When they hit the big pool, that it just ripples and ripples out on the internet of all of these things. It really focuses and narrows down keywords, key strategies, and things that they could do. They could just work from your book alone. Like they could just have your book alone. Oh, you're, you, I'm very humbled by what you said. No, it's true. Really. I, I, am, I am dead serious. Like I am 100% like advocating for people to get your work and to use the resources that you have because they're, they're solid and they're research-based. But it's when you start from a place, you need to know that you're starting from a good place. And you have provided parents this good place. And then when they're ready, they can now take some of your keywords that you've given them, then go and do the Google search. You know, a game to help with, you know, executive functioning or a game to, help, you know, a fun activity to reinforce written expression and, and all of this. And then they can now go to Pinterest and then they can go out there and Google search and find all kinds of fun activities that can be meaningful. They can make memories together with their families that can be associated. Because what our children need right now is positive affirmation and they need positive experiences. Absolutely, and they have to feel safe. Yeah, and, and that, so here we are in isolated environments. How can we provide them with, you know, this space that we have, you know, that the Lord has provided for us. He has given us this home. He has given us these children. 
how can we now take students that have learning differences or learning difficulties or ADHD are just a wide range. They could have, you know, co-occurrences. I don't like to use comorbidity, but like, they have co-occurrences of multiple things going on at once. You know, how can we really take away the fear the, the stigmas that they've already created in their own minds about their disabilities because they've had to face it. Now that they have been pulled away from the school environment, how can we give them positive associations with learning? What can we do now to pour into them? Because we have a positive atmosphere. We have a place right now where our children are vessels and we can pour in this positive learning we can adapt at home, we can modify at home. There's not, you know, 35 children in a classroom and, and it's, they're one-on-one -on -one right now with us. How can we do that? And I think your book is that place that could give parents that springboard or that place to feel safe to be able to try these things. And the book also offers um, an Ask Dana feature, which, um, so most books you get and you read it and then you put it onto your living room shelf and it stays there. Uh, maybe from time to time you might grab it, but my book is an interactive book. This was important for me. So the Ask Dana feature allows parents to reach out to me with questions or concerns and talk to me about their children so they can acquire a better understanding or a better approach of how to work with their child and what will help to make them feel successful. And upon re-entry to school, how do you bridge that gap? These are my observations that I've learned. It would be helpful for parents to keep a log, uh, a journal of what are they doing in reading, writing, and math. Uh, and even the older students to be able to say, these are the books that are being read and so that there's a, a record of what was done so that you can have a conversation with your child's teacher. Because one of the good benefits that I think is gonna come out of this is that parents are going to feel so much more empowered as to saying, these were my observations. I've worked successfully with, uh, but I noticed that these, it didn't work when I was doing A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. How can we go ahead and help that? And for those parents who have IEPs and 504s, on some, in some areas, it's so much more difficult because the service providers are not there physically to help. But in other areas, these parents are ahead of the game in that they have a roadmap. They have specific goals and objectives that have been stated with accommodations and interventions that have been recommended, and they can pick and choose and experiment as to which ones are going to work. Uh, the most important component for the parent at the moment is to stay in contact with their child's teacher yes. and let them know what is working and what's not working. Because the teachers will have suggestions too as to I found that this helped when I did this with David. Why don't you give it a try? Sally could really benefit from this. And, and already your dialogue is stronger than if you were at work and your child was at school and you didn't have this interim distant learning that needs to take place now. Totally agree. And as teachers, we would love that feedback. Like you said, sometimes parents might not feel comfortable doing that now's the time to take that and just throw that away <laughs> and just jump in there and, and build those strong communication bridges between the home and the school because you know teachers are mourning right now because we don't have our children face to face with us and we don't very hard that. It's, it's hard all around and so if parents are reaching out to teachers right now trust me Teachers are embracing that as never before. I mean, we always have been because that's our role. We understand the role of community partnerships, of parent partnerships and family involvement and what that does with um, you know, student success and all of that. But I think at a time like this, we so value that conversation.
It's so crucial. I think it is too. So I think, you know, like I loved how you took something that's going on right now that that is one of those crossroads and transitions and you've brought out a lot of positives. And I think that's what we need to hear right now. We need to hear the hopes, the positives, and what we can really benefit and gain from having an experience like this. And that's really just drawing closer to our students' strengths and understanding our students and our family unit even more. Absolutely, and you bring up another important point of understanding our students' strengths. It's so important uh, because children can come in all shapes and sizes, and they come with various strengths and vulnerabilities. And it's important for parents to celebrate in their successes and to understand that their strengths is what's going to carry them in life. Yes. So let's foster it. Um, I had no uh, ability to, um, or language, foreign language aptitude. So um, sitting in a classroom for many years and trying to acquire a second language was very arduous for me. So um, for these children, where we're asking them every day from kindergarten to 12th grade to sit in a room and deal with some part of some day that is difficult and challenging, um, it's hard and we need to understand that because once they go out into the world and they find a profession that they love and they're passionate about, then they can go ahead and really hone in on their strength each and every day and they can leave their vulnerabilities. Those who do not have math propensity are not going to seek accounting jobs. That's okay. And it's important, it's an important message that parents can give to there's children right now and say, all right, we see that you know, you, you like to write much more than you like to do math, that's fine, but you're gonna just need enough of the basics to get you through. Right. And beyond that, celebrate in what you're good at. And so we have five children and all five children come with their own unique personalities and all of their own quirkiness and their loves and strengths and ooze, all of the things that just make each kid unique and special. And so at a time like this, it's really developing that core and getting a stronger sense of identity because I feel like students can have that safe place to do that within a family unit more so than around a peer group and a large classroom environment because they may be very intimidated to be able to talk about those things because they may feel like they're going to get picked on or bullied or singled out if they start saying things that oh i want to be a wildlife biologist and then a child will say oh you can't do that you're never going to do that whereas a parent will say well let's investigate that well you know you love being outside and you love hiking and let's look into see what you can learn here and then you can start tailoring activities at home that can help build some of that basic knowledge they might need in the future. And I feel like now is a positive place for parents to be able to help their child form a stronger sense of self and a stronger sense of identity. Absolutely. If we think about the, um, the playground uh, and recess time, it's really um, similar to an adult cocktail party. If we envision at an adult cocktail party that there's three people engaged in a conversation and the fourth person comes over to join, they, they come over and the people, uh, three people open the circle a little wider to let that fourth person in, but that fourth person takes a moment or two to uh, hear what the conversation is about before joining in and it becomes seamless. If we take that to the playground, the playground becomes a children's cocktail party. So they need to learn how do you join a group of kids. And if there's, if you want to get them into a game of foxball or, um, or uh, basketball, how do you go about joining that group of children? It's very similar. So for those children with immature social judgment who may not have the language or how to go about doing it, now is the time at home that role playing can so take into account and it can be done through family games and it can be done outside on in in the role of planting vegetable gardens and making having conversations and dialogue and what would you do here how would you go about this and what do you think that would have would that make johnny feel if you did that and 
on what's another way you could do this. So here is the opportunity for parents to work with their children in role playing that gives them further confidence for when they need to re-enter. Right. And this is our opportunity. This is another positive that can take place. Yep. And so talk to me about your webinar series because I can't wait for parents to hear about this and we've got it just in time because you said it's tomorrow. It is tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow I am um, presenting a webinar uh, one o'clock Eastern time and it's on how making learning at home meaningful during this time. Uh, there is reading, writing, and math tips, which is fine because we have to deal with our academics, but then it separates out into all the teachable moments that can take place through unstructured time at home, such as cooking and baking and making uh, and playing board games. And I want parents to understand that learning is not, does not just take place when there is a math sheet in front of the child. Uh, learning is ongoing and, and it's done really through meaningful connections yes. and the opportunity for parents to connect with their children will only increase learning. So the webinar is called uh, How to Make uh, Learning Meaningful at Home and uh, another, another um, presentation that I did um, that you can find on my website is, is it a learning disability or is it a learning issue? And in it are uh, 10 separate informational sessions for parents to pick and choose which one's appropriate for their child. And what it is going to do is allow parents or give them techniques and strategies on how to support and advocate for their learning disabled children. And so that's already pre-recorded in there. As it a, is. And you do have other resources on your website too, I not do. just Ask Dana, but um, you also have materials for uh, families and you coach as well. I do. So, I do. So, the, uh, so it's interactive because I, I really, when I started this project, I didn't want to write something and have this book that just went on the shelf. I wanted to develop the relationship and the rapport with the parents so that they could return to me at the different crossroads of their children's lives and say, I have a CSE meeting coming up or a parent-teacher meeting. Uh, what would be some good questions to ask? Um, how do I approach the, or who do I approach if I think it's time for testing to take place? And I wanted a forum in which parents could reach out. So I just, one, I want to thank you because one, you're so passionate about what you do. You can tell that this is truly a calling for you and you have stepped in it with grace and with all of the knowledge and skills to pass the, to families and practitioners and I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart as another special ed teacher to you um, just thank you because uh, I, I want to thank you for having me on your show and for being so incredibly complimentary I am humbled by everything that you have said today and it's true and you know you'll see all of this out on social media today, but you're going to hear conversations and your fingers. I don't know if you do this in New York, but it's loud <laughs> and your hand is itching. That means somebody's talking about you. Oh, great. <laughs> say, you know, if one day you start getting an itch, you go, that, there's that Jennifer. She's out there talking about me to somebody. <laughs> oh, that's great. Because I'm really going to be shouting you to the rooftops because oh. it, it's truly a needed, not just, you know, during this pause moment, I'm calling it, we're in the middle of just a blink. You know, we're in a blink moment, but you're needed. Your work is truly needed in schools, in communities, for homeschool families, for public school families, private schools, because you give families the language to be able to understand the uniqueness and the beauty of their child. Well, thank you very much. So, much appreciated. And so and, tell us your website, let everybody know like how they can get on that webinar. Um, how, how do you find that webinar? I know you're going to give me the link that I can. I'm, add. I'm, I'm going, 
I, I am going to give you a link. Do you have the ability to do a shout out to um, or not? Uh, I don't know, uh, but I, I will send you the link. I don't have it available right here. Send it to uh, me and I will update the YouTube video, the podcast description, and then I'll start shouting it out, your webinar link. Who did you set your webinar up with? For those people out there that are watching this that are interested in writing, for their business and doing webinars themselves. I did want to ask you that. This particular webinar, I partnered with uh, uh, New Frontiers, which are, is a great organization in helping parents um, navigate and negotiate their way through various challenges that their children, adolescents, and young adults face. Uh, so this was a partnership component and uh, I will get some information out to you on it. In the interim, um, parents can go to uh, my website at educationalalternativellc.com. And once there, you'll be able to you'll be able to find the Ask Dana feature. You'll be able to find the course descriptions, uh, and the you'll be set to go. And the book and the book is available. The ABCs of Learning Issues through Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Wonderful. All right. So, Miss Dana, just thank you so much again. Thank you so much for having me. Much appreciated. So, guys, you've got to go check out Miss Dana's book and all of the resources that she has available for you and reach out to her. You can tell she's ready to work with you and your family in order to just give you that capacity to be able to navigate the world of learning disabilities and differences. So, so thank you so much, Ms. Dana. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Now that you found me on the Jen Lowry Writes podcast, I challenge you to head over to where books are sold and find me there. I've published 11 books so far, and I write clean books for all ages. Horror, paranormal, sweet romance, fantasy, historical fiction, you name it, I've got your genre. Search Jen Lowry at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, and more. And for my Bible devotionals, you'll see my full name, Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry on Amazon. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.